welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, well, um, I'm doing uh, 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 okay. I'm keep staying, staying uh, uh, safe and, 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 and healthy and um, supporting uh, the ongoing causes where I can. Uh, listeners, um, you can... Uh, support uh, communities united against police brutality by buying literally anything at battleshipretention.com slash premium and 100% of that money will be going to communities united against police brutality. Um, so uh, and that's, that's throughout the month of June. We'll be doing that. So uh, please do that. Um, as far as me personally, how I'm doing today, I learned that in all likelihood I will be working from home, for the foreseeable future to use the uh sure. the term in the in the email which is the biggest so far it's usually it's been like a couple of weeks or like as much as a month push at once yeah and and uh the last email was that we were they were going to start bringing people back into the office june 15th that now seems like it might not happen but if it does happen it's going to be it's probably not going to include me i will probably be working from home so this is it this is uh my life now working from home. Yeah. Um, uh, and I know you've got, you, you already know what your fall is like, which is like crazy to know that far ahead. Yeah. And, and I do wonder if, because I know some places are reopening David, my favorite coffee shop has reopened. Uh, they are, they do a thing where like every other booth is closed <laughs> Um, the staff, uh, wear essentially like double masks. They wear like the, the standard face mask and then like a big plastic thing over their face, okay. like a, not a welder's mask, but that kind of model. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I, I went in and, uh, I had my own face mask, but I sat there and mm. graded and graded papers while I drank some coffee, um, lifting up my mask as I did so. And, uh, it was, it was, a a, a very surreal experience cause I was the only one in there. Oh, well that's, uh, that's probably safe, uh, safer. Um, sure. I still don't feel like I'd be okay with going and sitting inside somewhere. Now that I have considered going to a restaurant that we know and we know that the way it works out is that it's outdoor seating. You enter into the outdoor seating so you can mm-hmm. maintain social distancing the entire time. The, the only, the closest, the only time anyone might come as close as six feet would be your server who would be uh, all uh, masked and gloved up. So we've considered doing that, but I don't know that I'm yet at a place where I'd want to go sit inside. Admittedly, if the place had been full or like, Mm -hmm. or I mean, as full as it can be, I probably would not have honestly, but I walked in, saw that there was nobody and I was like, all right, I think I can live with this. And then I uh, took a a spot sort of in the corner there. Um, And, uh, and it was actually, it was quite nice. uh, But once again, a little bit surreal. I felt like I was doing something wrong, even though legally I wasn't. Um, And it's like, Oh, I don't like this feeling. Um, Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. So, (laughs) so, but with places like opening, I was starting to wonder if like, okay, well maybe my, my fall won't be this. Maybe I, maybe they will open up campuses, but at the same time, like you open up a campus that you're opening a, 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 
a place up. Granted, it's spread out a little bit, but you're opening it up to thousands of people. And it's like, yeah, I guess that is different than small restaurants. And so, yeah, my guess is that I will be doing this once again in the fall, this uh, remote teaching thing. Um, but uh, the thing I wanted to talk about uh, was to go back to the other, uh, uh, we got the pandemic, the other crisis um, right. is uh, on- ongoing um, unrest against racial injustice and police brutality. Um, and we had a few a couple of days ago, a few days ago, by the time you're hearing this almost, almost a week ago, um, blackout Tuesday, um, right. which was a thing that, uh, a lot of people apparently, I guess did wrong. There was a lot of, uh, confusion yeah. over how to observe this. I, I took it to mean that, uh, I wasn't going to post anything. If I was going to post anything, it was going to be a retweet preferably of someone, of color or something like that. Uh, but I think I mostly just like read, uh, uh, Twitter and, and, and stuff and didn't actually post anything, uh, that day, but it brought up the question, like coming out of blackout Tuesday there. And even so during the past weekend, when, when all of the protests were happening all over the country, um, I was tweeting, you know, uh, uh, quite a lot and reading Twitter a lot and retweeting a lot because I was feeling very angry. Um, and that, uh, uh, weirdly like donating my money helped me f- feel better in a real way. Um, tweeting angrily helped me feel better in a very short term sort of sure. superficial way, but it, but it, but it does have longer term effects, uh, physically and mentally, but yeah. <laughs> but the thing that I kept, uh, I, I would like scroll through Twitter and everything was about this. And then every once in a while, I'd just be someone being, being like, check out these ribs I grilled tonight. And be like, <laughs> and <I'm> like <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. It's like but, that Kyle Kinane bit, uh, about, about the, uh, Cheddar yeah. Bay biscuits. <laughs> yes. That's, uh, is that available as a premium episode? Because he did that bit at a, a Battleship Retention live show. I'm trying to remember if that's one of the ones that you can get as a premium episode. No, I think the, our live shows we just posted in the stream. Like oh, people okay. didn't have to pay for those. Well, if you can find that one with Kyle Kinane, you can hear that very funny uh, Cheddar with Biscuits a, uh, bit. It is a good bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, so that was like crazy to me. Like the whole weekend, I, there's nothing I was posting that wasn't about what was going on there. But coming out of Blackout Tuesday, I have had this like what are the like what is the etiquette for 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 posting like i i you know i i've i've posted links like to a couple of our like podcasts or just stuff on the website a little bit but i'm mostly still trying to stick to uh uh more relevant uh stuff um but also i'm record trying to remember that like like Twitter isn't the entirety of my life. You know, if I spend, uh, if I spend hours of my day or if I spend hundreds of dollars and then like, uh, uh, an hour to my day, like reading about or, 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 or watching movies by black filmmakers or doing things for, uh, that that are like have social justice in mind. If I tweet one dumb thing about the earthquake, does that undo all of that? <laughs> like, I don't obviously, think no. In my like, I recognize like we all we we do want to try and be sensitive, and we want to try and recognize that there are larger things going on than like uh, the random thoughts we might have about a movie or about like some other event. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, like 
and I realize that I'm, I'm in a place where I can, af- I can afford to, to say this, but just like, there's just so little grace for, for people right now. And granted, there are some people for whom maybe right now there shouldn't be any grace. So yeah, I, I get, but at the same time, when it's people who are genuinely trying to engage and then every once in a while, they say something that doesn't have to do with this. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it, it's okay. If you, if you immerse yourself in this thing, which is understandable because we're dealing with injustice and it is a, deeply heartbreaking and infuriating issue. And so on one hand, you want to be a part of it because it is, uh, it is a vital part of the conversation, uh, conversation culturally, but at the same time, you and I have talked about both off and on Mike, our own mental health and sometimes allowing yourself to have thoughts that aren't, hundred percent this thing uh is but you don't have to tweet those thoughts not you know necessarily I mean? not necessarily but um at the but same yeah, time i mean like, i'll admit that like uh uh a lot of me and natalie's conversations are about what's going on but mm-hmm. then we also like make a drink and play cards like to un- unwind yeah. uh, but i guess um yeah, I, I i guess i just want to uh maybe try to balance like uh, i'm uh I mean, I'm someone who tries who tries to always be aware of of the privileges that I have. I feel like the past week or so has really made me think about it just constantly. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely doing what I can with the fact that I uh, have a decent and steady job means that I can I can donate money where I can, and not only donate money, but I can I can also support black creators, black businesses. Natalie and I have. Uh, um, been going over, uh, uh, there's been so many resources out there. Just Google it. Like, um, here's a bunch of black owned restaurants. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, our friend, um, our friend, Jesse Thorne, who runs, put this on, they posted a link of, uh, uh, black owned menswear retailers. I bought mm-hmm. a, I bought a, a, a shirt from post Imperial made of, uh, recycled material, uh, <laughs> that, uh, um, is it meant to rhyme? Uh, no, uh, oh, that's unfortunate. it's an upcycled, I guess is the, the trendy term, but it's yeah, recycled shirt. Um, so basically I'm, I'm trying to balance out, um, my social media statements, my, uh, the content that I choose to, uh, uh, consume the business I suppose I choose to support and the donations with occasionally, yeah, I have, you know, watching an episode of veep or whatever yeah um, or uh, if it's just or it that's the other thing is uh, certainly one doesn't want to be flippant about this this kind of thing but yeah when that earthquake happened the the number of people on on facebook and twitter that were like yeah here's the here's another thing yeah. um uh th- that was the the commonality to those to those uh tweets and and yeah. status updates and that kind of thing and and i guess it all there there's the, the debate about what constitutes balance, you know, if you're tweeting 10 things that are very much about the situation that's going on, your yeah. thoughts, and then you do one tweet that is fairly innocuous, some people would say, well, that's too many. And it's like, well, uh, yeah, I mean, no, this could I, all be as long as it's not, you know, in my opinion, as long as it's not being like, you know, I'm starting <laughs> to think maybe this other side has a good point. Yeah. Like that's no, I'm not talking thing. about that. that. I'm just that talking does about negate. Like, yeah. You know. Um, 
uh, I guess uh, this could, and this is me like, I'm mostly like self-policing here. I, I haven't actually, I don't know if you've had a different experience. I haven't actually seen a, an example of a person being specifically jumped on and saying, how could you say this now? I've seen general tweets, and Instagram posts being like, I can't believe people are tweeting about other yes. things, yes. but I, I haven't seen anyone saying like, like jumping on someone and saying, how dare you? Um, so I guess that's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's a better way to, to, to do it. You know, um, it's, it's a weird thing. Like I do understand once again, trying to be sensitive and trying to, to self, to kind of hold, hold oneself accountable. Um, cause it's so easy to, f to say, well, I'm allowed, I'm allowed to say whatever I want. It's like, yeah, sure. I wasn't saying you aren't mm -hmm. the issue then is what are you going to do just from a, lar a larger cultural moray standpoint? Um, but, uh, I will also say as someone who uh, is, is on record as, uh, uh, hating himself most of the time for reasons that may not be totally rational, uh, I, I would encourage people showing yourself grace is not the same as letting yourself off the hook. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah. and I would, so I would encourage you and, and the listener that like in the midst of this, sometimes you need to think about other things, do other things so that you don't get burned out. And so that you do have the energy to, to jump back in, uh, to, to this, uh, fight for lack of a better term. Um, because if you, when dealing with, with an issue, especially when you're on the outside, it can be extremely easy to just have no mental or emotional energy left. And then you just walk away from it and you don't come back. But I think having some, having some level of uh, moderation, people in my, uh, in my neighborhood are setting off fireworks uh, pretty much constantly. So sorry about that. Um, so I think having uh, some level of moderation just for your own sanity, knowing that you're not going to be able to do any good if you have driven yourself insane or forced yourself into a, into a depression um, because of this. So I think it's, you know, it requires, it requires a lot, a lot of self-knowledge and what you need as a person in order to be most effective in, in the things that you do, whether it be in your marriage or your career, or in this case, uh, trying to, to take a stand and, and engage in a way that can be, uh, uh, helpful. Um, uh, yeah. And, um, you can also engage in ways like even in your like unwinding time, like it doesn't always, I'm, I, I retweeted someone today named, uh, uh, AO at I don't know who this person is. It says they're, uh, um, a comic and a, and a writer and I'm trying to figure out what their pronouns are, but literally their pinned tweet is, uh, no pronouns do not refer to me ever, which is funny. <laughs> um, but, uh, they were pointing out like all these like watch lists of movies to watch, you know, to, um, uh, to support whatever, like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be homework is what uh, this person said. Like you can watch Hollywood shuffle and ganja and Hess and the watermelon woman in like, uh, 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 fun stuff, which reminded me of another thing. If you have a Criterion channel, they they do these like I don't know, what they, I forget what they call them. Not playlists, but they put like a bunch of movies and special features into one. Like, yeah, I can't remember what they call it's them. Not, they have a name for a, it. Is it called a collection? Maybe it's a collection. Yeah, that sounds right. So they have a like uh filmmaker, like a black filmmaker collection that has all kinds of Daughters of the Dust. Um, mm -hmm. Other, I can't remember if they have Watermelon Woman, but there's other Cheryl Dunn uh, stuff. 
uh, so yeah, there's, there's plenty of things you can do. Like I said, uh, Natalie and I are very, getting very excited looking at the restaurants we're going to be ordering from. We get to try some new restaurants, uh, and some old favorites that we kind of didn't even realize were, 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 were black owned here in, uh, uh in north hollywood we got black house burgers uh which is a delicious burger place uh that we like so we're going to order from them more often um so yeah you uh commit yourself to the cause and even but you know committing yourself to the cause doesn't have to 100 percent be uh uh homework as this person said sure all right um i guess from that what's very uh cautiously uh, segue into an ad. <laughs> um, <laughs> wait, sorry, we have to do an ad. <laughs> um, uh, tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality uh, earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors that look great, they sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day. Uh, today I was listening to the new album uh, by rapper uh, Future, which is called High Off Life. And I know I, this is this is me being an old man. Like, I know that these days an artist can create a song and have it up on Spotify, you know, the same day. Um, so it shouldn't seem so weird to me that there's a, a full new rap album in which like there are references to coronavirus, <laughs> uh, but it yeah. just seems like <laughs> I'm just coming from like, uh, things aren't supposed to take that long or, or things are supposed to, aren't supposed to be that fast. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's good. I like future. I like the new album. Um, and it's not good on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. They're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you could one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? Um, uh, I've been looking forward to this episode for a while because uh, because of the uh, normally. So this is episode six hundred and ninety, which means uh, the name the number of the episode is divisible by ten, but not evenly divisible by, by fifty, which means that it's a profile episode. And uh, I will admit, normally in the profile episodes, I am either I haven't done as much research as I wanted to, or I've like set everything else in my life on hold and crammed a bunch of research into the week, like the one week before, <laughs> like we, like I watched so many, um, Peter Fonda movies in like the yeah. five days before we recorded that Peter Fonda episode. Um, but because of the quarantine and, and stuff, I've actually, uh, been watching, uh, movies starring Max von Sydow, uh, for quite a while now. And so I've been champing at, champing at the bit to do go. this episode. Um, uh, so yes, this is a profile of the career of the uh, the late Max von Sydow, who died, who passed away earlier this year, and uh, he's uh, he's got a bunch of movies, um, and his his uh, his career went in all kinds of uh, places. So let's just jump right in. All right, and uh, I think I like you. I'm starting with 1957's The Seventh Seal. Uh, that is correct. Yes. Um, which, 
we 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 talked about this on a Patreon episode that's posting soon, uh, coincidentally. But um, the Seven Seals movie that I put off, but Bergman in general is a director that I put off for a long time. Because um, I think I'd seen like Woody Allen's Interiors and heard that that is his like Bergman riff. And I was like, mm-hmm. uh, oh, so it's all just like uh, dry and heavy. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and some of his stuff very much is. But I think... Um, uh, Bergman is actually one of the he belongs belongs to a handful of uh, of of filmmakers um, uh, along with some of the all time greats like Orson Welles. Um, I would say uh, more recently, people like Olivier Assayas or or even like mainstream people like Steven Spielberg, um, Mario Bava. I would commit. I would I would put in this in in this uh camp of people who just like their first language is cinema almost do you know what i mean like yes. like there's such a there there's such an undeniable facility with camera and editing and lighting that it seems like uh, if there are people who can do this with movies it's crazy to think that there were a time when there weren't movies Yes, that is, I, I know exactly what you mean. And there are some directors that just, it's that concept of like, they arrive fully formed and they mm-hmm. just, they just know the language. Like the rest of us, we may, it, it, let's, let's look at it that way. Um, because I have talked in the past about uh, film being a language uh, mm-hmm. with all the different aspects of film being, you know, your verbs, your punctuation, cadence, all that sort of thing. Um, but uh and most of us had to learn the language of film over time. But there are just some people, and I recognize they had to learn it as well, but it just seems like they are native speakers. And, yeah. and Spielberg is one of them. Uh, and I think, I think you're correct. Like Wells and my somewhat, my, my limited exposure to Ingmar Bergman, he's just, he knows the movies he wants to make and he's just going to make them. And it, it, it seems, even when he's, dealing with stuff that's kind of narratively experimental, it feels right. It feels like, well, obviously that's the way to tell that story. I mean, and, what else and could as, it be? As a result, what I, I always thought his films were going to be so ponderous, all of his movies are so watchable. Yeah. Um, as much as The Seventh Seal, which is uh, uh, about a, uh, Max von Sato plays a crusader, right? A soldier from the mm-hmm. Crusades uh, who's, time has come i guess and uh is playing chess with death with 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 death uh for his life and having these existential conversations and uh and all that as much as its themes are 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 heavy and and abstract the seven seal is actually uh like a surprising number of bergman movies especially in the uh the earlier half of his career um pretty short right (laughs) the seven seal is like 90 minute 95 90 minutes yeah yeah um uh and sometimes very funny uh and always fun to watch and that's so the and then the other thing i guess for me coming to bergman late is that or, or coming to bergman late means that i came to in the uh, i came to young max von Sydow late you know i hmm. being the film the age i am the film fan i am i knew him from some of like the 90s and 2000 stuff that we'll talk about uh uh later in the in the show um in which he was always very physically imposing. And I've, I can already tell 
uh, for me at least, physicality is something we're going to be. I'm going to be talking about a lot in this episode. Um, but it was it was uh, so strange to me to because this was the first young young von Sydow that I saw to see him so hale and hearty, um, which I think is part of the irony of the fact yeah. that he's dying here. But uh, um, he's he's a soldier, and his his physicality. I feel like there's a couple directors that he worked with a lot. And one of them is Bergman. And I think uh, Bergman often gives us a version of von Sydow who seems like he could uh, run a mile at the drop of a hat. Like he, he, he's, he uses his physical stature because von Sydow is very tall. Yes. Um, and, and his voice went with that. Like the fact that he had the voice of a tall person, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, and 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 he uses that uh Bergman uses that for uh as a source of energy i think yeah and uh yeah he could run a mile and the whole way he'd be wondering why he's doing that why he's doing anything <laughs> um because that's the other thing is uh, it, it, when i think about max von Sydow, he was a tremendously good actor but what i would say is there's only one thing i imagine he could not play which is dumb um Mm. which is actually i guess kind of ironic considering that an extremely loud and incredibly close he literally doesn't talk i mean dumb as in unintelligent uh that like this is he he just whether he's playing uh like a, a protagonist or an antagonist like he just exudes intelligence and i would say a specifically thoughtful and maybe even introspective kind of intelligence no matter what he is doing uh whenever he is in a film regardless of the film i definitely feel like okay that's the smartest guy in the room but it's not like he's a know-it-all kind of smart guy it's not uh you know eg marshall uh or anything like that yeah eg marshall right that's who i'm thinking of i think that's who you're thinking 12 inger men yeah 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 it looks like Uh, an egghead yeah, exactly. And you just, and there's, there's a certain, there could be a certain haughtiness to him as a, as a, uh, as an actor that he played into because of the types of roles that he played. And so it's not that there's, there's, there's often a certain humility in the way that Max von Sydow played characters, even playing powerful villains like in uh, Flash Gordon or, uh, needful things or something like that. Uh, there is just this, this unassuming quality to him so that like he's intelligent without being a know-it-all and he could give the impression of decency, even when playing, uh, imposing characters. And he could also be quite imposing. It was really, he, he it was such a, he was such a unique on-screen presence because he could embody all of these things that, could that were contradictory that's how he could play jesus and satan uh over the course of his career you know what i mean and that's Mm -hmm. that's something that not a lot of actors could do convincingly but you just as equally buy him as a villain as as you would the the biggest hero you know um but anyway i've already said a lot of you know i've I've said a lot of what i will be saying but like as i've been thinking about his movies as i've been watching performances that's sort of the this this decency and humility and intelligence right um 
and I think, you know, if you look in his eyes, it, there's often like a certain sadness. Uh, and that's definitely something that you see in the seventh seal. Like this character, what frustrates him is not that he is dying. What frustrates him is that he is dying having so little clarity on what life was all about. And there's an anger there, but more than anything, there's a real heartbreak uh, to his character that, uh, that really, you know, we, we take our emotional cues from him in the film. I realize we can't spend this much time. on. Yeah, but it's okay on the first one. Um, and we won't spend much time on also in 1957. He appeared in Ingmar Bergman's wild strawberries. It's a, it's a one scene, um, uh, roles. Uh, it's been a while since I've watched it. That's my understanding is the wild strawberries is kind of a road trip movie. And he plays mm-hmm. a gas station intended attendant, uh, in one of the scenes who, um, gives uh the professor played by victor solstrom free gas to sort of like pay back pay him back for all his kindness over the years or or, or whatever it's a uh it's a nice little scene but uh, i can't say i remember uh much about it but um uh but it also is interesting to see again you've got compared to victor solstrom max Sato's character is youthful mm-hmm. and again it's just i guess i'll have to i should i should get over it but i discovered max fonsetto in reverse and so uh seeing him uh, uh as as youthful uh is a little bit striking um, there is still though when you look back at him when he is young there is still a certain cragginess uh to to his features oh sure. okay um, well yeah he'll start i mean we're getting ahead of ourselves but he'll start playing older than he is by the end of the sixties. Yeah. Um, but here, uh, even maybe I, even the early sixties, the, the next film on my list, I, I, I might, I'll probably, I'm probably getting ahead of our, uh, of myself, but, uh, you know, he's the head of a family with older children. Um, okay. and so, uh, but we'll talk about that. In the yeah. So I want to talk about, uh, uh, sticking with, it's going to be a bunch of Bergman here. So sticking with Bergman, 1958, the magician, which is a total blast of a movie. Um, and uh, oddly, because uh, I, I saw it for the first time in preparation for this, um, and I found myself thinking by the end that this would make a great like uh, uh, double bill with Shadow of the Vampire, of all things. Because uh, even though the, the, the magician is about, uh, he plays the head of a sort of uh, traveling, um, I don't know, circus troupe or whatever in, in mm-hmm. like, uh, um, I don't know, 1800s 1700s uh somewhere who um uh have to spend the night at a um like a a a wealthy person's uh estate that they're gonna be they're gonna be performing but they're also under suspicion of some crimes or or whatever so it's basically it's 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 a it's an all-in-one night type of movie it takes place over the course of 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 one night and he spends most of the movie in a very obviously false beard and mustache because that's his like magician uh uh character but um uh a lot of the movie has to do with uh, is about how these I don't know, artists, performer types, uh, uh, clash with the, uh, the more traditional folks, both the rich folks and their servants with whom they spend, uh, most of the time. Um, and there's some question among, uh, uh, on, on the part of, of the, uh, uh, officials, the aristocrats of the town, uh, as to whether or not 
he actually is a is a magician and he's very intentionally uh um coy about whether or not what he does is real and i think that's where the shadow of the vampire thing came into me is the idea of someone through some sort of artistic or expressive pursuit uh there's a there's a folly to trying to capture actual reality in that the best you, you you can you can maybe approach reality by coming at it sideways uh with these illusions or or in 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 a, in a film but uh um it's hard to actually pin down um the entirety of truth in a magic trick or a movie about a vampire um uh but uh the magician is also um uh, a lot of fun um it also had it has a surprising amount of horror again not there's a uh ingmar bergman again you i guess thinking of him as the guy who inspired woody allen's interiors i was surprised at how uh versatile he is genre wise uh in watching a lot of his stuff and there's uh he made more he made more than two i would say more than one or two horror type movies uh in his life and the magician has some horror stuff in it i feel uh, like his sensibilities would lend themselves to horror pretty pretty well even even in uh the the next film for me is the Virgin spring 1960. That's not a horror movie, but it would certainly inspire horror movies. And I think that's because at its core, you're dealing with some really horrific concepts. Well, let's uh, first, I want to quickly want to mention that the magician also stars BB Anderson, who's uh, another Mm -hmm. uh, Bergman uh, go-to, but yeah, let's jump into the, the Virgin spring, which um, I feel like uh, maybe it's gonna. It's. I think this has to go up there in the pantheon of greatest final scenes in the history of movies uh, mm-hmm. ever. The the scene that the movie takes its name from, yeah, uh, uh, is is at the end, and uh, I was so so blown away by the way the movie ends. But yeah, here, uh, uh, you're, you're, this is the movie you were talking about. I'm guessing where where he's a. A family man, but uh, yeah. but it's medieval times. I feel like people had people had kids <laughs> yeah. at like yeah, you know, he was a father at thirteen. Yeah, yeah, But he's a a a, a loving um, and pious father mm-hmm. um, who's uh, uh, the only thing I knew about the movie going in was that it was the inspiration for the last house on the left. Uh, mm-hmm. So I knew it was going to happen, and it uh, is. Uh, yeah, shockingly close to the last, last house on uh, on the left, which I've um, never actually seen, and I don't yeah, particularly don't, want to. Yeah, you don't need to see it. Yeah, um, I think what I like about one of the things that I like about the Virgin Spring, from the standpoint of looking at Max von Sydow as an actor, he plays the character again. This is a character who's who's fairly decent, and is immediately like after the events happen, and maybe I'm reading into it. I don't know, but which could probably be said about any discussion of uh, an Ingmar Bergman film, but the idea of he's questioning, like I tried to do all the right things. I tried to be a a good man and that might actually have made me weak and it might've made me a target. And perhaps if I had lived a, a different life, if I had made different choices, if I had embraced different values, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Maybe I've let my family down by trying to be a good sort of passive 
trusting person. And, you know, it's one thing if I get hurt uh, because of that, but now uh, I have allowed my family to get hurt and uh, that is unacceptable, which is why I think he's operating not not purely from a place of vengeance or even justice. I think he's operating from a place of shame. And, and feeling like yeah. he at, he has not done his job as you know the patriarch of the family, and so uh, that I mean I I got all that from granted what the character is doing, but I think what uh, what Von Sydow does with the character like there is a lot going on there. This is not purely you can't do this to my family. I will do something to you. It's it's so much deeper than that. There's such there's such a, a a brokenness, not merely because, oh my gosh, my, my family has been hurt. It's, am I responsible for this? It's an entire worldview being shaken. And, uh, I, I love the movie in general. And I think his performance is extremely, uh, powerful. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to mention, uh, after I read this, I, or after I watched this, I went and read, uh, just some excerpts and reviews, like, of at the time and reviews mentioning how like like uncompromisingly violent the movie is and it's like i get I mean it, it is upset like there's a like there's a murder where like a person is murdered and then the shot just like goes on with yeah. the dead body they're like it's upsetting but just in terms of what we're now more accustomed to in non-screen violence it's, it's funny to think of people uh, clutching their pearls at, at this yeah, especially it's like, hey, would you like to see the film that this that yeah. was inspired by this? And then that person obviously would have uh, some kind of heart attack or something. Yeah. Okay. But, so what's, uh, so moving on to um, Still Bergman, one year later, through a glass darkly. Um, so one thing that like so the character in Seven Seal um, is is. Uh, um, um, a soldier and, and the other one's a traveling performer. And, and this guy's a, in Virgin spring is a, is a farmer and through a glass darkly, we actually get to see, even though he's still his imposing physical frame, he's, he's more of like an academic. He wears, you know, sweaters and eyeglasses type of type of thing uh, here. And, and he plays, um, uh, I'm forgetting the, um, is it, it's Harriet Anderson. He plays the wife of Harriet Anderson uh, and they're spending a weekend um, at the, the sort of beachside Island home of uh, her father uh, and her younger brother is, is there. Um, and it's for a lot of the, the first half of it, it's kind of just like a hangout movie. They like the um, uh, you see the, you see, even though the, Von Sydow and, and Harriet Anderson are adults and even the, her younger brother is essentially an adult. They like write and put on a little play like kids for the, for the father, like as a birthday present to him. Um, and then like a couple of them go on a boat and a couple are hanging out at the beach. It's kind of a hangout movie, but you, uh, you're in there hints early on, but you realize that, uh, Harriet, Harriet Anderson's character, uh, has some sort of, uh, I, I don't know what to call it. Schizophrenia or, or, or something, um, uh, and, uh, you, you realize that everyone's kind of always on edge because they never know when her next sort of episode will, will be. Um, and in the second half of the movie, it, it, uh, it tilts more toward 
her being the main character and so you experience the movie's so beautiful it's such a great use of uh location such a uh, a great uh, i'm assuming patience with the light and the weather because you couldn't they didn't have as much you know uh uh color timing and digital intermediate and stuff <laughs> they didn't have digital intermediate back then so they couldn't just change the color i mean it's black and white they couldn't change the 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 shade of the of the sky like but uh, 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 every shot is incredibly beautiful but they also become much darker you know she you see she ends up hanging out in a part of the house that's kind of falling apart that like uh is supposed to i think reflect what's going on in her in her in her brain and and um my character is a very is very um com- compassionate i guess uh um uh, and feels terrible for her but um in real bergman fashion uh you come to maybe understand that uh what's the allegorically maybe this is about um her believing in god and him the rest of her family not believing in god and so her schizophrenia as it's being portrayed is a a stand-in for something that the other characters can't understand and it's told from like i said it's told from her her point of view um uh and uh uh yeah there's a fonsetto has a, a a great scene in which he's like trying to calm her down but is also like yelling at her like he says something like no there's no like no god is going to walk through the door or 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 something which made me think of that famous uh i don't know you're not a sports guy but that uh i forget the name of the the boston celtics uh uh coach uh who had that so-and-so ain't walking through that door um uh press conference which is a weird thing to to think about larry bird ain't walking through that door when ron <laughs> is talking about whether or not there's a god uh but i'm sure that people of boston see larry saw larry bird the same way sure yeah um, but yeah uh uh also, very... he was always walking through doors that larry bird like <laughs> he's always standing and walking through doors um just like uh rory calhoun, rory calhoun. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay, so what's so, the, I don't have honestly I don't actually have anything until the seventies. Okay, so I've uh, got um, jumping ahead to so I mentioned there's a couple of directors he worked with a lot. Bergman is the main one. The other one though is Jan Troy Troel. I'm not sure how you okay. say his last name. Uh, T R O E L L. And um, uh, I don't have much to say about Von Sato's role in Here Is Your Life uh, from 1966. It's a great movie, uh, but again, kind of like Wild Strawberries, Von Sato's character uh, kind of uh, just shows up for. I can't. Write, it's not. It's not, not very long, or it might feel like it's not very long because the movie's like three hours long. Uh, for all I know he's in, he could be in there like 35, 40 minutes, but it just seems like it's not that long. Um, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't have much to say about that that uh, performance, but we'll get back to Jan Troil uh, uh, later. Um, 1968, back to Bergman, and maybe my favorite Bergman uh, uh, because it's so it's his maybe his most overtly horror movie, um, Hour of the Wolf, in uh, which uh, kind of similarly to Through a Glass Darkly, there's a character on an island. Uh, Bergman shot on the Scandinavian, like the Swedish islands, uh, a lot. Uh, maybe one island in particular. I don't know. Uh, someone who's more of a Bergman expert could tell me the name of the island. But uh, but this time, 
he's Von Sato's playing the one who's who's going insane. Uh, he's um, an artist of some sort. Uh, I can't remember um, who's having trouble uh, uh, writing and taking it out on his wife and on the townspeople around him. There's a there's a scene that is like uh, uh, upsetting, but also funny where he's like walking back he was trying to like paint a landscape he's walking back toward the house and another person from the town is like comes up and is walking alongside him and like talking to him and talking to him at one point van sider just like loses his patience just slaps the guy across the face (laughs) 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 uh but um if I, I talked about it through a glass darkly, the sort of ruined parts of the house reflecting Harriet Anderson's uh, mental state here, you've got just full on like nightmare sequences um, that are, uh, that, that are, that are going on. Um, uh, so uh, here again, you've got uh, um, Von Saito uh, playing someone who's, who looks like Max Von Saito, uh physically imposing. He can slap a guy around, but um uh, it's a more um, cerebral and internalized uh, role, but the performance, because there's nightmares that he's actually performing in, or sorry, uh, existing in, um, requires a more physical performance as well. So he's playing both of these sides of himself that we keep we keep talking about. Um, Incidentally, I would love if, if Max von Sydow had gotten the opportunity to say, if you're not careful, I'm going to slap you around. <laughs> like it just, uh, I feel like he'd, he'd be able to really imbue that with depth. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but what I was talking about uh, him playing all the roles, 1969's The Passion of Anna, which I think is Bergman's first color film, um, mm-hmm. uh, re- reuniting um, Von Sydow and B.B. Anderson, and also Liv Ullman, whom uh, Von Sydow, I'm not sure if they'd worked together before this, but they will work together again. Um, and, but this is the one I was talking about, about him playing older, because this is a movie that has, um, like, a, we did a whole episode on, like, third-person narrators, like, mm-hmm. people who narrate the movie but aren't a part of the movie other than that. Um, and this movie has a narrator. In the opening scene, it says something about him being, like, uh, 48 years old or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it is, but I looked it up and he like wasn't even 40 yet when they were making it. But uh, um, here he plays uh, the, the movie is uh, in, intentionally sort of folds in on itself because um, he plays a man named Andreas. God, I, can't, I hope I can remember all of this because he plays a man named Andreas who's divorced and he meets a woman named Anna, who's a widower. Okay. But his ex-wife's name is also Anna, and her late husband's name was also Andreas. And also, um, uh, what is it? Uh, I, there, there's there's another layer to uh, the because there's also BB Anderson and. Erland Josephson play their friends. And I think BB Anderson had had an affair with the other Andreas. I can't remember. Hmm. It's a, like a, it's intention. It's intentionally. Uh, uh, and then added on top of that is that the four main uh, actors live Ullman, BB Anderson, Max Lonsato and Erland Josephson also have scenes, documentary type scenes of themselves talking to the camera about their characters. Um, and then also part of it, I said, it's his first color film, but also part of it's in black and white. Um, so, uh, this is, I think getting a little bit closer to the, 
um, intentionally uh, uh, difficult to decipher Bergman of his reputation. Um, uh, but it's it's also just a um, it, it never stops being uh, an engaging melodrama about these uh, relationships um, at at the same time. But uh, I could tell you're uh, uh, zoning out. So <laughs> sorry. I'm 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 looking over. Uh, it's. I'm engaged with what we're talking about, but not uh, in a way that requires response. Sorry about that. Uh, no, that's that's okay. Um, uh, it's a it's it's a good movie. I'm sure. Uh, I wish I had uh, all the time in the world, but it, it, there's there's a lot uh, going on in it. It's once again uh, is shot on uh, an island. I don't know if it's the same island. Oh, and also, yeah, there's someone like uh, um, mutilating sheep. Uh, there's there's a lot going on in in this movie. Um, and then I'm going to keep talking. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, 1971 and 72. It's a two part movie. That's really just one long movie, but it was released in two parts mm. because total, uh, it's about six and a half hours long. Um, Jeez. it's the emigrants and the new land. And this is, um, I feel like you, you saw this fairly, I mean, recently could be like the last two years. Uh, it um, might've been a few years. I, okay. I saw it and talked about it in the movie journal when criterion yeah. put out a Blu-ray. Um, which uh, um, uh, they also put out here is your life on Blu-ray. But um, yeah, I've seen it. I, I saw it for the first time or the only time uh, within the past few years, but um, this is him with Jan trail again. And, uh, and I wanted to talk about something that we'll see in a couple of Jan trail films, the way that he uses him differently than Bergman. Whereas Bergman uses his physicality for uh, often for, for energy, um, Jan Trell likes to liked to position Von Saito in his imposing physicality as people who are kind of immovable hmm. and often suffer tragic consequences because of their inability to adapt. Um, and so uh, The Immigrants slash The New Land is uh, based on a novel about uh, a Swedish family uh, who leave Sweden and come to America and eventually um, uh, uh, start a farm in uh, Minnesota. Um, but the movie, like I said, it's six and a half hours long. The first movie, The Emigrants, is like three hours and 10 minutes long. And at the end of it, they're on the boat to America. So they don't even get to America in the first movie. Yeah. Um, uh, and Liv Ullman plays uh, his wife, um, the so the 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 first movie is about um uh, how difficult it is for them to get out the people die I mean, maybe they actually do arrive i'm trying to remember because it's been a few years like i said they might arrive in america that might be the end of the first movie like i can't remember um but people die on the boat a lot of people don't make it even that far there's a reason they're eager to leave sweden for america they're they're suffering there and then once they get there obviously things aren't easy they're they're um uh, looked down upon for not speaking the language and then they have to you know starting a farm is hard it turns out um uh, not that he didn't know that i just uh, i mean i i play stardew valley and i mean it took a while to really get it going so no i get it i get it uh, and then of course there's the dangers of the wilderness the dangers of the 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 era um uh and through it all his sort of headstrongness is both a boon to 
keep them fighting through all of this stuff um and also sometimes the most damaging thing to his to his family uh, i feel like we've seen so many movies about uh patriarchs of families who don't uh listen and change their ways who stick by their principles quote unquote uh until it's too late uh and this is a great uh version of that and it's i mean it's not all about von sedlitz but the whole family so it's kind of an ensemble piece but he and Liv Ullman are the definite leads and um it's uh, i mean if you got six and a half hours uh it's absolutely uh worth worth watching okay all right. So next is The Exorcist. So why don't you talk for a minute? Okay. Yes. Uh, so, you know, when I saw The Exorcist for the first time, given the title of the film, which I think we've done episode, we've done an episode about titles, right? Oh, have we? I can't remember. Because I feel like if it seems like we, we've been doing this too long and my mind goes to it too frequently for us to have not done that. But I don't even know. But uh, I am I'm always fascinated by uh, by why I mean, I recognize it was based on a book, but it still applies this idea of titling a movie after a specific character when that character is not your lead. Hmm. And so hmm. with The Exorcist, like it's called The Exorcist, the the what you know it's one of the most iconic images in all of film is him standing outside the house uh under the the street lamp and then the the look of max von saito in the film just as sort of this this guy who looks a little bit weather beaten um and just has such gravitas like he just looks like a man of authority, a man that like, I'm not going to question anything this man says. Like he clearly has these things worked out. And then spoilers, everybody for the exorcist, the fact that he does not make it to the end mm-hmm. and that he, and that we don't even see his death scene. Um, uh, Jason Miller just comes in and he's, and he's lying on the ground dead. And it, it's such a fascinating concept and i realize i'm kind of talking about the film in general but you know all that is to say that when you have a film called this and then you have the character with this kind of screen time and this sort of arc um i feel like you you need a character this is going to sound strange i feel like you need an actor who has no real vanity because it's not like it's a small role, but I feel like some actors might see it as a little bit unrewarding, you know, because he's there and he is a, a definite presence, but he's not allowed any, any like really big emotional scenes. He has some really nice quiet moments and he really is there to sort of declare theme. Um, and that's a very hard thing to do while still maintaining a, uh, a, uh, an emotional aspect to the character and just not letting him be uh, just allegory up there on the screen. And I think Max von Sydow brings a specificity to a character that very easily could have been more of a concept than an actual character. And I think going back to this idea of him, you know, the, the sadness uh, of, of him, like the idea that this guy is sort of this weird outcast in the Catholic church, just doing his own thing. Cause nobody really knows how to handle him. And this ongoing 
feud he's had with this demon uh, that has clearly taken a toll on him. And the idea that his, his faith rather than get rattled has, has gone, has gone even deeper to such an extent that he does not despair over even the, the most uh, horrendous ideas. Um, like it's, and again, I'm talking about the film's themes and that he can play that while still making the character feel human is really an accomplishment. Um, it's a marvelous performance in, in, a, in a movie that I think is, is really great. And you have very human performances with Jason Miller and Ellen Burstyn. And so that kind of frees him up to embody this other aspect, the more overtly religious aspect of the story, while once again still seeming very empathetic towards what's going on and you know in those moments where he is attempting to comfort Ellen Burstyn like there's such like I take solace in that character um it's a it's the exorcist it fascinates me as a movie Mm -hmm. I recognize it's a horror movie um but it feels more like a domestic drama to me in the way that it's executed and and he is sort of the, the the loving grandfather who, yes, doesn't make it all the way through, but is like this source of stability and comfort. Uh, and uh, yeah, I can't, uh, I think for a lot of people, probably including me, this is sort of the, the iconic, the, either that or the seventh seal are sort of the, the iconic roles of his. But uh, yeah, like... I, when you see what he does with it and you see the, the way the character looks and the way the character is written, like you under, you kind of understand why the film is called the exorcist and why the novel was called the exorcist and not the possessed, you know? Um, and I, to go back to what you said about his lack of vanity, I wonder uh, just coming out of all the Swedish films, we talked about the fact that he's like Sweden is a much smaller country, a smaller film industry he's working with the same actors and the same directors working the same actors in different directors films i think maybe he came uh, he came to america already used to be feeling like a part of a company uh, yeah. you know and and that's uh, so he's as much as he's uh, good at being a leading man he's a he's a team player um speaking of well uh speaking of scandinavian leading men uh, who come to America. <laughs> I am reminded what his, the next film for me is three days of the condor. Okay. And I'm reminded of Mads Mikkelsen, someone who sure. in Denmark, Denmark is, is like there is like a George Clooney, like leading man, uh, uh, type. And he comes to America and everyone just wants to cast him as villains all the time. And so three days of the condor is a movie where Max von Sydow plays, uh, the villain, the assassin Jobert. Yeah, we're going to see him play the villain in quite a few things uh, once he gets to the U.S. Um, and you know what? It's interesting. Uh, I just had this weird flash that, like, it's been a while since I've done it, but you, we talk about fantasy casting and stuff. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to see uh, Max von Sydow as, like, Hannibal Lecter? I feel like he could have done it, and I think oh, yeah. it would have been amazing. Yeah. But anyway, sorry, go on. Uh, I don't have much. I, it's been so long since I've seen Three Days of the, okay. Con- the, Three Days of the Condor, but it's a Sidney Pollock movie. It's very, it's a good movie. Um, they talk about it in Out of Sight. Um, they sure do, yeah. Uh, there's a TV series version of it now with uh, Max Irons. Is that his name? Jeremy Irons' uh, oh, son? I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. Um, 
It's got Bob Balaban in it. He just did an interview uh, for the AV Club nice. uh, about it. Uh, anyway, but uh, an American movie in which uh, Von Sydow did not play a villain is the next year, 1976, Stuart Rosenberg's Voyage of the Damned, which, which I'm I assuming see. you've seen. I have seen I, not since high school, but okay. uh, I'm but assuming yeah, you saw I've, it because Orson Welles is in it. I, I was aware of the of the other actors, uh, and it just sounded interesting to me. And with a with a cast that big, yeah, I was like, oh, I want to I want to be it, a part of this. It weirdly it takes that '70s feel of like those big like star-studded disaster movies and applies yeah. it to a true story. Um, that's uh, uh, an incredibly depressing true story about yeah. an entire like uh, luxury liner um, uh, where that departed from Hamburg, Germany with close to a thousand passengers, all of them Jews uh, headed for uh, Cuba to expatriate, to, to leave, um, uh, to leave Germany for good. And uh, they weren't allowed to disembark in Cuba. They weren't allowed in America. They, uh, some of them got off in different places, but, uh, it mostly is, uh, uh, again, Von Sato started this research was, uh, exhausting for this uh, episode because Von Sato started a lot of long ass movies and this one's like <laughs> two hours and 35 minutes or something. Yeah. Um, uh, he's the, and, he's the captain of the ship, right? Uh, he, yeah. He plays, he plays the captain who's, um, he was chosen as captain by the Nazis as a sort of PR thing because he's like the one ship captain in Germany who refused to join the Nazi party. So they feel like it makes them look good to have him at the head of, of, of the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a you know, Stuart Rosenberg is best known for directing um, Cool Hand Luke, I think, um, oh, yeah. which is, which is a movie that's not best known for its direction. I feel like um, uh, it's really more about uh, Paul Newman and Conrad Holston photography and stuff. Uh, and I guess the screenplay, but um, he also made I, Brew, uh, Brew Baker, which I thought was a pretty good movie. I never saw that. Um, actually pretty similar to cool hand Luke in a lot of ways. Uh, but Voice of the Damned is not a, a bad movie uh, at all. Um, Oscar Werner um, plays a real piece of shit uh, villain. He He's the, <laughs> There's other Nazis in the movie, but he's the real, like, he's the guy who joins the, like, crew of the ship, basically, on behalf of the Nazi party to keep an eye, mostly yeah. on on Von Sydow's character. Um, yeah, Lee Grant is in it. Um, um, Jonathan Jonathan Price uh, is in it. Malcolm is McDowell. Ma- is James Mason in this? I seem to recall uh, James Mason is in this. Is James Mason in it? Sam Wanamaker is in it? Is- I'm trying to remember. I watched it fairly recently. Um, yeah, I saw it like 20 years. Yes, he's in it. Okay. All right. It's weird, the stuff that my mind goes to. Yeah. But yeah, like when I think about the movie, oh, yeah. I think of about Wells, Faye Dunaway, Max von Sydow, and James Mason. Because those are the okay. actors. Like when I saw it, those were the actors I knew. I would not have well, thought, oh, that's Wendy Hiller, you know, or whatever. Um, yeah, and you might not have thought, oh, that's... Um uh, ben Gazzara at that age, but Ben Gazzara has got a, uh, yeah. he's one of the good guys, uh, who, who's trying to get, trying to convince the Cubans to actually let, uh, uh, let these, the, these, these people off the ship. Um, uh, Orson like I, Welles. I, feel like though, I would probably enjoy watching this. Like yeah, look, it, looking at the cast, like people that I now know, like Jose Ferrer, Fernando Ray, Den O'Malley. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, that's a good cast. Yeah, Denim Elliott. Um, uh, but Orson Welles is so Orson Welles. There's little things in the movie that I know j- that he just did because uh, oh, yeah. he he plays a very wealthy Cuban, I guess. Uh, yeah, a lot of non-Cubans play Cubans in this movie, yeah. um, but he plays a very wealthy Cuban who uh, sort of has some strings that he can try to pull to try and uh, uh, get these people off the ship. But also, he's a businessman first, and he's not going to do anything that's going to put his interest at risk. So he's kind of like a I don't know, uh, morally n- neutral uh, character, or at least trying to be. Um, but he has the scene where there's a uh, there's a, a a father who's already has left Cuba. His German has left or has left Germany and lived in lived in Cuba. And his two daughters are on the ship trying to come to him, and he's trying to get and he's like pleading with Orson Welles, and Orson Welles is like talking to him. Like, Here's what I can do, and he's in the back of his car about to take off. Um, and his girlfriend, he's got like this 20 something year old, like, uh, super hot, like, uh, girlfriend who like keeps trying to like, I can't remember what she's doing. She's like looking at trying to read the newspaper or whatever. And she's, he's, and sort of was talking to this guy. And she, then he just starts there and he's, and he's like, why don't you bring your glasses? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that has to have been a Wells thing. Yeah. Uh, he might yeah, not the, have even been in character when he said that. He might've been talking to the actress. Yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, uh, that's more time than I expected to spend on, on voyage of the damned. Um, it's not a very well remembered movie, but it's better than its reputation. I don't, it's, it's worth watching if you've got to spare two hours and 40 minutes. Um, all right. So what's next for you? Next for Uh, me, I lost my place here. Next for me is a film that I have not seen since I was young. And that is flash Gordon. Okay, I've never seen uh, that. A film that I have very little memory of, regardless of what uh, friend of the show Ian Brill uh, keeps pushing me towards. Like, he just keeps telling me to watch it. And it's like, I have seen it, but not for a long time. And as a kid, I did not understand what it was trying to do, uh, that it was this throwback. One thing I did understand, and I can't talk much about it right now, because, of course, I don't have a lot of specific memories, but one thing that I totally responded to was Max von Sydow as Ming the Merciless. Uh, the character of Flash Gordon, I was like, I don't get what this guy, what this guy is. I thought the music was ridiculous and cheesy, but man, I loved this over-the-top villain. Uh, it, it was, you know, I, I had, I guess that was probably my first real um, exposure to Max von Sydow, but I, I wasn't thinking in terms of actors. I remember just being like, I like this guy. Uh, this is a fun villain, and uh, and that's the most I can that's the most I can uh, contribute. Except that uh, Flash Gordon, I feel like it has been it's been it's thought of quite well now. I feel like it, it only recently got like a Blu-ray release, okay, and recently could be in the last couple of years, like a good deluxe Blu-ray release. But um, but yeah, it's a film that I feel like I would like to revisit, uh, not just for Max von Sydow, but I think I'd probably appreciate what the film is doing in general now but uh as a kid that that i i liked a good villain and that was a good villain um well he he played a couple of roles like this because he's also king osric and conan the barbarian mm-hmm. um which i couldn't tell you much much about uh he's dr kimes in dune which i could tell you even less about because i've saw i saw dune once when i was in high school uh, just to sort of check it off my David Lynch list. Um, I know it doesn't have a great reputation. Uh, and I don't remember thinking very highly of it at the time. 
He's one of several actors to have played Blofeld, uh, and he plays him in uh, Never Say Never Again. Oh, right. The Bond movie that's not a Bond movie. Uh, yeah. Um, so I guess he doesn't really play Blofeld. Yeah, he um, plays Blofeld, quote unquote. Uh, but then he's also delightful as uh, Brewmeister Smith in Strange Brew. Um, he's the villain I've never of Strange seen Brew. <laughs> you know that's that's one i saw that film when i was young because my my dad said oh you'll love it and then i watched it and was like this is funny but i don't think i quite understood what what it was tr- supposed to be as far as like how canadians are how they act or whatever um but i remember like i had i recognized max von Sydow from a number of other things and i was like it's weird that he's in this pure comedy um it's sort of like when uh, Christopher Lee plays the villain in uh, The Stupids, where it's like, what? Again, <laughs> again not, not one that I, that I saw. The um, Stupids is actually a, a, a smarter movie than I gave it credit for at the time. It does stupid in a very smart way. Um, okay, what's next for you? Next for me would be Hannah and Her Sisters. I haven't seen it in a long time, and it's also not um, – um, he's not one of the – major roles in the movie he's the husband that she leaves right yeah but he's but it's you know unsurprisingly woody allen gives him some good scenes and some really great he gives him like a wonderful woody allen line where he says if jesus christ came back and saw the stuff that was happening in his name he'd never stop throwing up and yes that's right and von saito delivers it wonderfully and he is the character's name is Frederick and he's sort of this academic and he's meant to be seen as a little bit uncaring. And when he discovers that, uh, that his wife um, is, is interested in another man, you actually see like the mask slip and you, and you see that he is a very emotional person who just didn't realize what was happening. And it, it, it works really well. Um, I actually, when I think of Woody Allen films, I, I tend not to think of, particularly emotional scenes. I, there are often hysterical scenes uh, by, and I don't necessarily mean funny, uh, mm-hmm. but stuff like blue Jasmine, there's a lot of, there's a lot of extroverted emotions, but I don't necessarily think of like these really genuine moments of vulnerability, but there, but it's there in Hannah and her sisters from this character who you probably least expect to respond in this way. And I remember really, uh, he really makes an impact in that movie. I love that movie all around, but I think he really does a great job uh, within it. Um, all right. So the next year, uh, Billy August's Pella the Conqueror, um, mm-hmm. for which he was actually nominated uh, for uh, an Oscar. I'm not sure. Yes. Um, was that, uh, you're more of an Oscar historian. Was a non-English language actor being nominated uh, uh, a big deal at the time? Uh, I mean, mean, obviously he speaks English, but in the role, he's speaking Swedish and Danish. I mean, it's certainly, I know, I don't know if I'd say it was a big deal. It's rare. It doesn't happen very often. Um, And I mean, I think it happens a little bit more now, but I can't think, I I feel like it does, but I can't think of any examples on the top of my head. uh, I mean, like Antonio Banderas was nominated last, last year. Yeah. Um, Roberto Benigni uh, won for Life is Beautiful. And then... You Do we got, count uh, Jean Dujardin for... Uh, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> it's a French movie, right? But the year before, you had uh, like Javier Bardem in, in Beautiful. So it does, ha- it does happen a, f- a fair amount. Uh, yeah. Maria Full of Grace was an example. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, so Pillow the Conqueror, uh, have you seen it? 
Uh, yes, I have. Okay, so um, uh, it's he plays the much older father of a twelve-year-old boy named Pella, yeah. uh, and they again he's playing someone leaving Sweden to go uh, set off an, agra- an agrarian on an agrarian life. But unlike the character in the Immigrants in the New Land, it's not his farm. He joins essentially a I'm not sure what you would call it. It's a uh, he's part of the staff of a farm in in denmark um and the movie mostly takes place with the the staff um it reminded me of a much more sort of audience friendly uh version of the tree of wooden clogs which is an italian movie uh, mm-hmm. about uh, a bunch of uh, similar like uh, uh farm workers um and, and uh i was surprised <laughs> I guess this is my American like blindness. Like there's so much like of the Danes looking down on the Swedes in this movie yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that I'm like, that it's just like, uh, I mean, a shame to say that in America, we barely know the difference. Um, yeah. but, uh, that was something that, that surprised me. It's, it's sort of like when I lived in Southern Missouri, like I moved there from Colorado and then I found that like everyone there just constantly made fun of Arkansas. Um, cause like we were right on the corner and they're like, yeah. Oh, those Arkansas. It's just like, I mean, I know there's a border, but really is there that much of a difference between yeah. uh, these, these lifestyles? Um, cause from coming from Colorado, I had no idea. Um, yeah, I do think that, uh, I think he's marvelous in probably the conqueror. And you know, you mentioned, Precise- uh, sorry, I'll, 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 yeah, yeah. uh, I'm gonna let you finish, but, um, <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, you mentioned earlier that he doesn't play stupid very often, but he's his character here is not, I don't think he's like an idiot, but he's not like that smart a man. He's also kind of an alcoholic. Yeah. It's a deeply flawed, he's a deeply flawed character. Yeah. And he's a guy that doesn't have a great deal of agency, partially because of the situation he's in. I think partially because of just his own, his own failings. You know, it's, I feel like this is the, you don't see this type of character from Von Saito very often. Um, and he's a guy who I think kind of hates himself uh, because he's just so constantly aware of his circumstances and his perceived inability to, to help his family. And it's, it's the kind of character that you empathize with, but you, you don't want to empathize with too much Uh not because you condemn them, but because you're just like, oh, gosh, I hope I am never in that situation. There, it's so tragic, but you also realize that it, it's possible that a good portion of that tragedy is, is the character himself. Like, mm-hmm. he's only going to be able to do so much as a person. Um, and it's not, a, you don't condemn the character, but you are just, I think you are lovingly aware of his limitations. And, uh, I, I like the movie a lot and I, but, and I adore his performance. Yeah. Um, it's a, he was nominated as lead actor, but as the title would suggest, it's, uh, I mean, he's really more of a support. It's more about the boy. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like, a that happens a lot. It's like, you know, the great Santini where it really is more Michael O'Keefe's movie, but you know, they'll, they'll go with lead for like Robert Duvall and stuff. Um, okay. So, uh, then I've got Awakenings. Um, well, I've got a couple things, actually. Okay, good. So he did the voice of oh, Vigo right. in That's Ghostbusters right. 2, which is That's something right. I didn't know because 
the actor, uh, there have been multiple articles written about the actor who played Vigo being a monster of a person who made everyone in his life, including himself, totally miserable. Uh, huh. But the, they picked somewhat, they picked a good person for the voice because uh, that voice matches that image completely. But then in high school, I did watch a VHS copy of Red King White Knight, uh, which I remember being, it was a TV movie. Uh, okay. starring Tom Skerritt. And I remember it being a really uh, nice little thriller in which there's like a, a plot to assassinate Gorbachev and the Americans find out about it and are trying to figure out like what to do um, should they make the Soviets aware of it because in doing so they're revealing like, oh, we've been spying on you and we weren't supposed to. Uh, and then, and in the meantime, Max von Sydow plays uh, like a sort I guess, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, like a dormant uh, KGB assassin who gets activated. And oh, so okay. he's not a, a particularly well-rounded character. He's just there to be intimidating. And really, he's, he sort of feels like a, a, a James Bond villain, not like a Blofeld, but like sort of uh, Robert Shaw, uh, just like this assassin who is, who's good at one thing. And just the way he plays the character... Uh, it, it it really impacted me. The movie is is perfectly fine, and nobody talks about it, understandably so. But yeah. I I remember in high school, like I really responded to to his character. Uh, but yes, now we can jump to uh, to awakenings. I don't have anything to say about awakenings. Oh, I, don't, okay. I mean, it's it's not. You you've seen the movie, right? Yeah, it's been a while, but yeah, he's just not, a, a doctor, right? Yeah, but he's not he's not Robin Williams, and he's not John Hurd. Yeah, he's. Just another doctor. I'm trying to remember exactly who he plays. I don't think it's a big part. Uh, yeah. So uh, I guess we I shouldn't have even mentioned it. Um, we could jump to 1993 and Needful Things, in which he plays a role that should be great, but it's uh, I find the movie to be uh, a real uh, missed opportunity. In many you know, ways. It's in, but for a long time, Needful Things was like one of your favorite books of all time. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I read the book uh, first as a yeah as a young person uh, as a as a tween and teenager. It was one of my favorite books because um, just in its construction, it's so fascinating. Have you seen, have you read the the book? No, I haven't. It's just, it's just so fascinating to see how the chaos builds from the uh, a bunch of small things that Leland Gaunt sort of sets in motion, and you see the um, uh, play, you know, like pinballs sort of bouncing off each other and turning into snowballs that uh, end up destroying an entire town all from this one like shopkeeper saying, Hey, maybe you want to buy this trinket um, to a few people. Uh, and the book's like, I don't know, like 700 pages long. Obviously you couldn't do that. And the, the, the movie just, it didn't seem like a very, uh, um, uh, it's not a very good ad adaptation of what Stephen King was doing there. And, you know, like it, it worked for me, I think, because it has a really good cast. And I think the cast does a great job. Always nice to see J.T. Walsh. Um, but uh, and there were moments in there that I found particularly disturbing, like when the, the kid is going to kill himself, like he picks up faster than everybody else on what is going on and his own culpability and is threatening to kill himself. And he said and he says, like. He says, I have to go to hell, which is such a, a Stephen King type line, putting that in the mouth of a kid. Um, so I remember thinking that's, that's pretty uh, effective. But I do love Max von Sydow in it. I think he's having a lot of fun. And he definitely, because yeah. he can't be Ming the Merciless. He can't be just overtly evil. He has to just seem sort of like a playful, but 
mostly harmless old man who who means well yeah. and then you discover as the as the film goes on i mean you know the whole time but like as the film goes on he feels he, he starts to become a little bit more of what he actually is and uh and i i really love his performance in it yeah he's, yeah he's definitely good at playing uh villains in american movies that's definitely something that he <laughs> yeah that he did a lot um but in the next thing for me is Citizen X, a nineteen ninety five yeah. uh, made for HBO movie, in which he's very much not the villain. It's a small part, but I'm, and it's not actually a very good movie. I have to say, um, I think you said you liked it a little more than I did when we were talking I, about it off mic. I did, but I saw it a long time ago, um, and I think I, I was so fascinated by. Um, as I tend to be, I was so fascinated by like the depiction of Soviet Russia mm -hmm. um, that I think I probably forgave quite a bit. And, and I like some of those actors. I think Jeffrey Dumon is a really great actor. It's always nice to see him in, in a, in a part. Um, and I remember really liking the scenes with Max von Sydow, who is a, a psychiatrist, I believe. So yeah, like, the, the movie is based on a true story of um, uh, a, a Soviet like serial killer and basically this one detective played by Stephen Ray who devoted his life to trying to catch the serial killer. Um, when almost all of essentially the entire bureaucracy and party bureaucracy, uh, for, uh, for political reasons, didn't want him to, um, and Donald Sutherland plays sort of his, uh, his rabbi, I guess the, uh, the, the, the guy on the inside, the guy who knows how to play the game with the yeah. bureaucrats, um, and of course you've got Joss Ackland as the bad guy bureaucrat. He's of course. Yeah. It's, there's one guy uh, that's a more reliable villain in American yeah. movies. It's, it's <laughs> Joss Ackland. Uh, yeah. Jeffrey DeMond plays the serial killer. Um, I think that's, that's kind of part of my problem with the movie is that it doesn't like, um, it doesn't commit to a like portrayal or a mindset of the serial killer. It has like scenes that are from his, there's a really disturbing scene early on from Jeffrey Dunn's character's point of view where he's looking for his next villain. And it's like sort of next shot in uh, victim is what I meant yeah. to say. Yes. Looking for his next victim. And it's sort of shot and presented almost like a romance when he finds this person. Yeah. Like, and that's like, I wanted more of that kind of like psychological stuff. A lot of it is just like, here's the story. Here's what happened. But, I feel like you, uh, either, you either need to go full on M and like show his perspective. Right. Right. Or you go Zodiac and it's all about people on the outside pursuing him. And I think it's right. kind of yeah. this frustrating mix of the two. Um, but you've got Max von Sydow as, uh, according to the movie, I don't know how to uh, fact check this, but according to the movie, the first time in the history of Russia that a uh, psychologist was brought in to uh, consult on uh, uh, on a serial killer manhunt. And he really only has two scenes. In his first scene, he's almost kind of like, he's giddy at the opportunity about it yeah. like he, he almost seems kind of childish uh about it and then his second scene when he's actually trying to get a confession out of jeffrey demon is the best scene in the movie by sure. far yeah um and uh partially because we've seen him be this kind of like uh uh, uh overly like boyishly eager character before to see him suddenly talk about like you know these sex crimes in this heavy voice and, and, and take it seriously. And you can see how much even to talking about these things is affecting him. It's a, um, it's a, a really great sort of case study and how to, how to build a character in two scenes. Yeah. Um, 
All right. Uh, I never saw Judge Dredd. I'm assuming you did. Uh, no, actually, I oh, didn't. Really? And I think I'm fine. Okay. I think the next thing for me is uh, What Dreams May Come. In okay, well, I've got another uh, 1996 uh, movie, another, another goddamn two-hour and 40-minute movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I think uh, the last Jan Troil uh, movie that I have, um, and it's called Hamson, and um, uh, it's based on a real person. Max Winsetto plays uh, a writer named Hamson, who was kind of, Hamson, who was kind of like the... Uh, Norway's favorite writer, I guess, until World War II came along and he was pro-Hitler. Um, and so uh, the movie, uh, like a lot, of, you know, we've talked about like these biopics that uh, um, just focus on one section of his life. And I think a, a smart move, the movie starts with essentially his entire writing career behind him. And he's, He's essentially like at the twilight of his uh, of his life, enjoying his status among Norwegians, and then he goes and fucks everything up by uh, by being uh, uh, pro Hitler. Um, and the movie makes I, I don't think I think the movie walks the line of like trying to see it from his point of view, where he doesn't see himself as pro Nazi so much as he sees himself as. Uh, anti-Britain. He hates Great Britain and he hates their sort of imperialistic arrogance. Um, and so he essentially aligns uh, uh, with um, with Hitler because Hitler is opposed to Britain. Um, uh, but it's, uh, uh, it's a movie that I think in the hands of someone like the, I forget the name of the guy who made Citizen X, it could have been a kind of boring and dry one thing ha happens after another, just like here's a bunch of information and uh, things that happened. But, uh, uh, Jan is, um, uh, very good at, at, at piecing together larger than life, uh, stories in ways that feel cinematic and larger than life, but also, um, are psychologically interested character, character based. Um, and again, crucially not, um n neither condemning nor forgiving of yeah. uh, of Hamson is a it just it's an interesting movie again if you've got 2 hours and 40 minutes on your hands sure uh to to watch it um okay so what did you say was next for you next for me is what dreams may come a film i have not seen since i saw it at the time and he plays uh, a character who is uh, who means a lot to robin williams as sort of a mentor Okay. Um, but in the, I'm glad after, you have a better memory than I do. Cause I also have not seen it since the theater. Yeah. I, mean, I, 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 remember the, remember. I remember the visuals probably more than anything. Yeah. Um, and they're quite astonishing in some cases, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird situation where like all of these, uh, these figures from Ron Williams life show up in the afterlife, but none of them are themselves that like the character of Max von Sydow in life, it looks like him, but then in the afterlife, I think he's Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, whereas, but then you see Max von Sydow, oh, okay. but he's not him. He's instead, I think, like a little girl. Uh, and so, it, I remember being like, that's kind of a weird uh, choice, but I still kind of think it's neat. Um, and uh, and I remember really liking what Max von Sydow does. And I might have the I might have the the 
the characters sort of mixed up a little bit there. Still, but, you, uh, you remember way more than I do. Yeah, I remember not really caring for the film at the time, but uh, in retrospect, I think I might like it more now if I were to return to it. Um, and then I did see the miniseries Nuremberg in 2000. I remember very okay. little about it, unfortunately. Um, so the next one really for me is uh, Minority Report. Yeah, same here. Minority Report, uh, another another uh, uh, villain role um, that yeah. I think eventually gets kind of... I've always had problems with the end of Minority Report because it gets a little too mustache twirly, I think. Uh, and the they, they explain it twice. They explain what happened twice. And I was like, oh, you didn't need to... You already told me. You don't need to tell me again. Yeah. And it's um, Max Vincetto does the explaining, right? Am I remembering correctly? I think it's, I think it's one person. I, I seem to recall Tom Cruise explaining to him after we've already been shown everything. Right. That's what and it so is. Yeah. Like, okay. No, we got it. You don't need to do this. Um, and I remember being frustrated by that, but, and, and thinking that like, it's a situation where Max von Sydow, his character is seen as on our side. He's on Tom Cruise's side only to reveal like, Oh no, he actually is this, this evil guy. I remember being frustrated. There's a lot that I love about minority report, but I remember being frustrated that like his character is pretty two dimensional. Um, yeah, that was the the thing at that time was that, uh, Steven Spielberg couldn't figure out how to end his movies. And I would, agree on minority report and war of the worlds but the other example people gave was munich and uh i don't agree on munich i like mm. i like munich start to front start uh, to, start to end front to back uh, yeah I, is I the love... saying that i'm trying to think of <laughs> cover to cover yeah there we go <laughs> go to woe <laughs> didn't we talk no that was off my okay uh okay uh 2007 is the diving bell and the butterfly um, which i've never seen and i don't think i ever will the concept uh, of it is so horrifying to me. I don't think I'd be able to actually watch it. No, I think, um, I, I think you'd actually like it more than you think. It's actually, uh, um, surprisingly, like there's a lot of gallows humor, uh, to okay. it. It's also quite uh, beautiful. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, the disturbing parts are, are disturbing. And Matthew Amarik, who's a great actor, um, uh, yeah, um, does great things um, with very little for a lot of the movie. Um, but uh, Max Vincetto plays his father, who is um, doesn't have the same locked-in syndrome, obviously, as, as mm -hmm. Max character, but is ailing and is sort of wheelchair-bound and, and mostly uh, homebound, too. He can't really uh, leave. Um, and so... This is another great use of Max Vincetto's physicality because he's a big imposing guy and it's sad after see after all these movies that we've talked about to see him not even be able to to stand up um but still be sort of a source of of of, of strength um um which then becomes even more sad when he uh starts crying on the phone with his son who can't talk back to him um it's a uh, yeah uh, uh i guess everything i'm saying is probably making you not want to see the movie even more because it's very sad yeah. uh but it's it's a it's a good performance even though it's it's probably there's probably three scenes uh total with yeah. him in the whole movie um next up for me is shutter island but yeah you saw the wolf man right uh i did but i didn't it says here uh direct he's in the director's cut of the wolf man which i didn't see okay um so shutter island uh, another villain, but he's great. Uh, Shutter yeah. Island is a movie I've really come around on after not Boy. liking it very much when I saw it in the theater. And me too, 100%. Uh, 
Um, and I remember, I'm trying to remember who it was. Someone was being interviewed about being in Shutter Island. Maybe it was Mark Ruffalo. And he was talking about Martin Scorsese caught him just staring at Max von Sydow and Scorsese <laughs> said, and, and Scorsese said, I know, right? What the fuck do you say to the guy? <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't remember it was Mark Ruffalo. It was someone who, who told that story uh, that I, that I love. Uh, what, what thoughts do you have on Shutter just Island? That, you know, he's, I mean, he's a villain, but obviously because of the revelations, it's like, well, he's seen, he's seen as a villain. He's a sort of an antagonist, but it uh, uh, turns out there's more to him than, than we thought. There's more to everybody than we thought. Um, and I like that he's, in a way, you could almost see him as like a mad scientist. Ben Kingsley is the guy who runs this whole thing, but he gets his sort of his medical support uh, from Max von Sydow. And it just, and he's the guy who's just Mm -hmm. sort of uh, off to the side conducting these, these experiments. And, uh, and it's a, it's not a huge role, but it's one that really works for me because he seems again, kindly, but uh, all the more insidious for, for being as kindly as he is. Um. All right, I've only got two left, and they're uh, they're they're not for a while. Yeah, um, I I hate to say it. I saw Robin Hood in 2010. I remember very little about the film, and I don't remember that he was in it. I'm sure it's not against him. I just think the movie's totally forgettable. The character's name is Sir Walter Loxley, isn't it? Robin of Loxley. So is he? Yeah, a I assume he's brother a relative or, a or father. Okay. Probably, yeah. I still don't remember him. I feel bad. Um, I did see Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, a film that has some really great elements, but I mostly hate. Um, and uh, he was—he got his uh, second Oscar nomination for this, uh, for Supporting Actor. And boy, I, I cannot, like, this is a, a great example of a good actor overcoming a shit character as as conceived he plays a a man who i forget if he chooses not to talk or if he just um lost the ability to talk but he has essentially he's written yes or no on the palms of his hands and that's that's how he responds and he may or may not be the the grandfather of our of our main character and so he starts to uh, reconnect with uh, connect or maybe reconnect with uh, this kid. And, you know, he has to go with that stupid horse shit. Yes or no thing. Uh-huh. And Max von Saito finds a way to take this, this conceit of a character and make him real to the point where he's the best part of the film. And you really feel like, this is a human being instead of just a, a gimmick and you, you feel for him, you know, he, he's, he's cause he's not talking. And so it's all physicality as you were talking about earlier and facial expression and you really connect with him and he manages to overcome just a really shitty little writer's trick um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and make him a, a real character. Like he absolutely deserved that Oscar nomination because uh, he really does something tremendous. I don't think it's enough to recommend the film, but uh, it is uh, an achievement in its own, in its own way. Um, so the next one for me is the star Wars, the, the, his one scene role in the force awakens, which I, I think, I think 
JJ Abrams is just like, I want to work, I want to work with Max von Saito, but not give him much to do. Yeah. Um, he's in the first scene provides a, a nice amount of depth and then that's it. And Parham's like, this, this is a bad, this is a bad call. I remember, yeah, I remember after the movie saying, this is, it's, it's amazing how much you can change in five years. Uh, uh, five years ago, I was still trying to care about Star Wars lore and stuff. I remember after the movie saying to my wife, were we supposed to know who Max Fonsetto's character was? And none of these like, what are you looking at me for? <laughs> She's where I am now. She didn't care about any of that. How appropriate. His character's name is Lore Santeca. I imagine no one calls him by his name. Uh, so, but they got to call him something. Uh, but yeah, it's just such a, it, it's such a nothing character and good for him for trying to take it seriously. And he does imbue the character with something insofar as like he, he's able to look at uh, Adam driver, Kylo Ren, and just like essentially just see right through him. Like in the midst of this slaughter, he's like, ah, I know who you really are. And I really appreciate that. But then the character is killed and then that's it. And it just feels like, you know, who gives a shit? Um, it's nothing against Max von Saito, obviously. It just feels like a waste. I only have one left. Um, and that's Thomas Vinterberg's The Command, which wasn't called that when I saw it. It was called Kursk. Right. I actually started watching it on Netflix yesterday, but uh, I did not get a chance to finish it. And I did not. Uh, I did not get to Max von Sydow. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not. It's not a uh, a great movie. Yeah. It's one thing. One thing we haven't mentioned. Talk about his whole uh, career is how many different nationalities. Obviously, he played Swedes. He played Germans. He yeah. played a Carpathian oh. in Ghostbusters Two. <laughs> of course. Uh, um, uh, and here is, and he's playing another uh, uh, Russian. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure there's not a single Russian in the film. Yes. Uh, there are no, Brits, yeah, there are Germans. It doesn't make them Russians. look good. Uh, yeah. It is based on a true story that uh, yeah didn't go well uh, for a, a lot of Russians and wasn't good PR for the Russian military. Yeah. Um, but he plays the uh, sort of, in a way, he plays the role Joss Ackland played in Citizen X, which is yeah. the, uh, he's, even though this isn't a Soviet movie, but he plays the Russian uh, military commander who uh, is more concerned with keeping up appearances than with the actual like safety and well-being of the people uh, under his uh, command. It's a true story of a, um, a Russian submarine that sank um, to the uh, floor of the sea during a military exercise and um, the various rescue efforts um, that uh that went into it um he's yeah he's only got a few scenes but he's got one of the standout scenes of the movie that's way late in the movie you obviously wouldn't have gotten to it uh that's just a great actor showcase where you've got uh colin firth as like the head of the british navy meeting face to face with max von Sydow and being like we will help you and max von Sydow generally basically saying like no we don't need your help and colin firth basically saying no you do those people are going to die i mean obviously it's all better written than this but this is basically the conversation um that they're having and just uh, uh i'm a big fan of colin firth uh in, uh, yeah. in a lot of roles and so colin firth and max von Sydow playing off each other is uh yeah we're possibly worth watching it for the movie has a great cast uh in general you've got matthias yeah. uh and leah sadu uh august deal um i feel like there's some more people in there but uh those are the main ones yeah i mean i i saw enough of it that uh i i will probably finish it uh and then talk about it when we do our next movie journal but uh yeah i mean it does that thing uh this has nothing to do with uh 
max von Sydow, but it does that thing where it starts out in one aspect ratio and then extends to this other. And part of me is like, eh. after a certain point, that just feels like someone trying to be clever. Uh, yeah. And um, I think I would have appreciated it more if it had started wide and then moved in because now they're on the submarine. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, but two things about that. One, uh, without giving away too much about my, my job, uh, movies that change aspect ratios are such a pain in the ass. Something, oh, I'm, dealing, I have no something I'm dealing with right now uh, uh, is uh, 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 annoying. Just pick one. Just pick an aspect ratio. Yeah. Um, uh, but the other thing is, I, so I saw this at, um, at TIFF in 2018 when it was called Kursk. And... Um, the 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 Scotiabank uh, theater, which is where most of the press and industry screenings are, and some of the public screenings, it's a uh, fourteen screen you know multiplex, and uh, they don't do any masking for aspect ratios uh, uh, in in that theater, which means that the screen is just a big sort of one eight five screen. And when it goes to scope, you've just got black bars at the top and bottom like you would watching it on your TV. But because this movie starts 185 and goes to scope, it started the whole opening section of Kursk was a small 185 frame in this bigger 185 frame. Um, it was just like a little, po- it looked like a little postage stamp. It was still plenty big, but <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I, I uh, thought it looked ridiculous, but also I. Um, kind of enjoyed knowing how much that bothered certain bothers certain uh, <laughs> uh cinephiles so i kind of got a kick out of that but um yeah the the changing aspect ratio thing uh, uh, i don't know uh, uh, i'm trying to think of examples where it's done well i know in i think grand kill bill, Fest does it okay uh, i like kill bill i kill think. bill volume two yeah. yeah um uh yeah mostly i like I, i'm all f- I, on the one hand, I'm a huge fan of like these rarer aspect ratios coming back, you know, sure. like multiple movies being in, in one through three and, and one six, six, um, uh, and even like the lighthouse being one, one nine. Like I, yeah. I'm all for that. I'm not saying don't do non, uh, like, uh, I'm not saying don't venture outside of the one, eight, five and two, three, nine t- world. Just, just pick one. It'll make it so much easier on people down the line, uh, you know, who have to get your movie ready to be on some streaming service where the person who watches it doesn't care what the original aspiration is. uh, And it's just going to be confused and uh, complain. Well, and that's the other thing is, you know, I would say I'm a little bit savvier than, than, you know, uh, other uh, movie watchers. And so when I was watching it on my TV and I saw that it was like, you know, essentially a box within a box. I was like, right. Exactly. Uh, like, I was like, okay, I see where we're headed. This, yeah. This is going to change. Otherwise it would fit up. It was, if it was just going to be this, it would fill up more of my screen, which means at some point this is going to widen mm-hmm. and it's going to be that. And so, uh, and sure enough, I was right. And, uh, and I thought like, yeah, all right. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's one of, it's to me, it's almost like uh, it doesn't happen as often, but it's almost like the long take where she's like, you're just you're just now calling attention to yourself. This is yeah. not working for me. I will say the the actual moment in the movie where it changes as it, the as the submarine is like sort of yeah. uh, launching um, is a nice shot. It is but, a it uh, is a, a very good shot. It. I think it's a very well shot film so far. Um, and and I'm like I said, I'm interested to keep watching it. But uh, yeah, moments like that, it just feels like if you had not done that, would do you think the film would have suffered? Cause I feel like it suffers more when you have a little gimmick 
yeah. uh, like that. But anyway, that's probably right. being a little bit too dismissive on my part. Ah, um, I'll, I'll be curious to see what you thought uh, when you see the whole movie. Uh, yeah. So that was uh, the life and career of Max von Sato. I feel like we touched on, we, we don't have a lot of huge blind spots here uh, between us. That's good. Um, it's not, we're not going to get angry emails like uh, with past profiles. I didn't see, I didn't see winter light. I know. Yeah. Winter there's, light there's, is one that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that is a big one. Um, but, uh, yeah, you can find us at battleship Again, go to battleship slash premium buy anything you want. All the proceeds will go to communities United against police brutality. Um, you can email us at David at battleship or Tyler at battleship You can follow me, David on Twitter at Davey pretension. Tyler's at Tyler pretension. Is there anything you wanted to mention? Yeah, uh, so obviously there's uh, my documentary, Real Redemption, The Rise of Christian Cinema, which is available on Faith Life TV. And then also there's a, uh, a new website called The Light University, which, yes, I recognize sounds uh, a little cultish, as someone pointed out to me. But anyway, it's, uh, it's sort of like uh, sort of the, what those masterclass type things where you can pay for uh, a class and... Uh, and so they reached out to me to put together a uh, film history class. So if you go to the lightuniversity.com, yeah. you will see my film history class. It's four videos, six hours. Uh, there are quizzes, there are movie recommendations, and you can get it all at the moment. The price will probably go up later, but right now it's 50 bucks. And uh, a, a large percentage of that goes to me. So it'd be a really great way to to help me, but uh, it's also something, it's also just about like, I put a lot of work into this thing and I would like people to see it. And I think yeah. uh, people would enjoy it though. Uh, especially our listeners, especially cause uh, you know, it's film history, but it's also me commenting on film history. So anyway, so if you go to lightuniversity.com, you can, uh, you can download that. So anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's it for I me. Uh, I forgot to mention the website or I reviewed Abel Ferrara's new uh, film Tommaso. It's quite good. And on the ba- Patreon this week, uh, we I talked about the, uh, <laughs> you know what? Let's call it all off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and on the, the Patreon, we talked about the TV we were watching this week. So um, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 